everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I'll Be Back podcast. Um, this week, we are joined by a very special guest, uh, the editor-in-chief of Al Scoop, John DiCarlo. John, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, I, I did hype him up last week. I said we we're getting not quite Kevin Nagandi, but we're getting the, the closest thing in uh, Temple Sports Journalism. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, not quite, not quite Kevin, but yeah. I appreciate that. It's very nice. Um, and I am uh, recording this uh, early afternoon on a Monday. So John is respectfully uh, having a water and some some tea, he said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking. Yeah, I'm drinking. God, this sounds boring. I'm drinking chamomile tea and water, trying to trying to hydrate. Got my Nalgene bottle here, lemon water. I, I'm sure I'll be made fun of for this, but <laughs> uh, by no means have I been like working out feverishly during the pandemic or anything like that, but trying to stay healthy. Maybe I'll have a, a drink later on tonight. I'm drinking a White Claw because uh, last last three wee episodes, I drank the same thing and I got a text saying you got to switch it up. So this was in the fridge. So I'm drinking a White Claw today. Just holding on to summer, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying to. Yeah. Today, yeah. last weekend, this weekend was a little finally wintry feel. I didn't like it. That oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't snow, I'm not a winter person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I agree. Um, so, John, a uh, lot to talk about, but also... I guess we'll start with football, uh, rough mm -hmm. end of the season, rough season overall. Uh, what are your, uh, where do you want to start with that? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess any reporter could say this to you. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. And I think the weird thing with, with Temple season was they, they, a, they couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't get, a consistent practice schedule. And I mean, I think I, I talked to Rod Carey about this. I think they honestly had two full preseason camp like practices before playing Navy. They had fits and starts, uh, you know, and a bunch of different media outlets reported on this. You know, they had to work with what the city of Philadelphia was allowing them to do. And, you know, all the non conference games got canceled. And I guess the hope for Temple was okay. Let's try to make the best of a, of a weird situation during the pandemic. And so even though you lose out on a chance of playing Miami, Rutgers, UMass, Idaho, you're heading down to Navy. You've seen the triple option before. And, you know, heading into the season, they were relatively healthy. They really hadn't, you know, they had the opt-out numbers had kind of changed, you know, throughout the year, but they didn't have any really significant opt-outs. They didn't have any significant injuries and they head down to Navy and obviously they, they COVID or not, they made their share of mistakes in that game. And, you know, they just, at some point you thought, okay, is, is COVID going to catch up with them or injuries going to catch up with them or opt-outs going to catch up with them. And it's just when, when they did, they really did. And, you know, I think, you know, by no means am I saying that, you know, if, if they weren't playing during a pandemic, that this would have been a 10 and two team. I, I thought they had a chance of being a good football team heading into the season. It goes to show you what my predictions are worth, you know, sometimes, um, you know, even when they bounced back and they beat USF, you know, they were shaky there. Um, and then really after, really after that Memphis game, I, you know, they, they shouldn't have played after that. And, you know, people can go back and forth and it's kind of subjective at this point. Um, you know, should they have played, should they have not have played? I'll, I'll give Rod Carey credit for this. And it, this probably won't really resonate with fans because at the end of the day, Rod and his staff get paid to, you know, develop these athletes and win games. 
I think he's been pretty straightforward and credible with us since he got to Temple. But it takes a lot for a coach to say, yeah, I'm not sure that we should have been playing because this is their livelihood. You know, and some of these guys will say, I would, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And for these kids, they want to be playing. But, you know, the, when, when it gets to the ECU game, and you lose 28 to three to ECU. You can't tell me that ECU is 25 points better than Temple. Now, now ECU's had their flashes this year, of course, but you know, when you're at when you're down to playing your fifth string quarterback, now granted, Anthony Russo was hurt. Anthony Russo was slated to come back and play against UCF. Uh, he's out due to COVID protocol. Uh, you know, Chad Betty's out, Real Mitchell's out. Matt Duncan gets suspended. Now he's been reinstated and you're playing Kamal gray in that game. Brandon Mack is your backup. You know, and I imagine if you're Rod Carey and Brandon Mack is your backup. Now he played quarterback at, at Cheltenham played every played all sorts of different positions at Cheltenham. If he's taking snaps under center, which he did, and he eventually actually did hurt his thumb on a run and he'll be fine. But you know, if if you're playing Brandon Mack as your fifth or sixth string quarterback at this point, God forbid somebody rolls into his knee if he's like dropping into the pocket and he tears up his knee and he has to wait a year to get into the NFL. Like that's just a, a position. Again, Brandon Mack could get hurt anytime, anywhere on the football field. But when you find yourself putting yourself in those positions, and a bunch of coaches have said this around the country, when you're playing true freshman and walk-ons who you had initially intended to redshirt and you have not been able to get them fully padded practices or full normal, whatever normal is anymore, training camp practices, you leave them susceptible to injury, all sorts of stuff. And it's just for Temple, when it caught up with them, it really caught up with them. So again, I don't want to say to fans that, oh, if it wasn't for COVID, you know, they would have gone, you know, they would have gone 12 and 0 this year, but I, I don't think by any stretch they would have been a one-win team so now the big thing for rod carry and his staff is going to be holding the program together holding the roster together and you and i have seen this you know you're you're a temple fan now you're now you're doing media stuff and you're doing a podcast <laughs> and i get it i know how fans are with this stuff and it's fine they're entitled to their opinions the transfer portal is hitting is really changing college football. And some people like it. Some people don't like it. And I'm talking coaches, athletic directors, you know, Houston was stung when Derek King left to go to Miami. It's hurt. It's hurt temple. It could help temple. Um, you know, they're going to have to hold that roster together and say, effectively say, as Rod said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here in his last media availability. He said, we have to make this a one year problem, flush this season, move along. What can we learn from it? and see who comes back. And now you just really have to, you know, see which of, you know, which of your red shirt freshmen, again, everybody's kind of uh, a red shirt, whatever coming off this year, because it's an eligibility for a year. They really just have to have to bounce back now with a relatively new, we, we don't know who will be under center because Anthony Russo has gone. Um, it's going to be a really, really interesting off season for just about everybody in college football, but especially for temple, because, We'll have to see what the ramifications are of Anthony Russo leaving. Do Jaden Blue and uh, Randall Jones decide to come back, or are they like, hey, no offense, Temple, love you guys, but I don't know if I want to come back for my final season playing for a new quarterback, whether that's Matt Duncan, whether that's a grad transfer, whether that's maybe Trad Betty, whether it's maybe that's like Mario Valente is a dark horse. Um, 
it's going to be a really interesting offseason. Uh, again, I think it would be hard for them to bounce back next year and be a 9-10 win team, but we'll see. But it's really unlike anything I've ever seen. And we, I think anybody who is covering college football heading into the season – we're all kind of looking around saying like, what's this going to be like? Okay. Who's covering this game? Who's going to be our person in the press box? Who else is just going to be watching and then talking to people over zoom. And even as a reporter and you do podcasts like this, people are like, what do you think? How do you fairly judge the team? And you know, people want you to deliver a bunch of hot takes and you kind of have to just sit back and say, I don't know. It was weird. Again, there are certainly plays that temple should have back again. That Navy game was winnable. They should have played better against USF. Um, they should have. They should have won at Memphis. Um, you know, once it got to Tulane, and you could see how things were really affecting them. Obviously, Anthony Russo was hurt in that game, but when the roster was depleted at Tulane, and you're like, okay, are they really a, are they really a, a team that should be losing by 35 to Tulane? Um, and then they show flashes against SMU, but then you know SMU is going to take over and do what SMU does. But you know. If Anthony Russo plays at Central Florida, I think that's a drastically different game because that defense played better than I thought they would down there, especially in the first half. It's again, it's unlike anything I've ever seen, and it almost makes the the off season more interesting than the the whatever abbreviated season we just saw. So it's just it's been bizarre, and now it's feverishly trying to get credible information: who's staying, who's going, and ultimately the the players. Uh, announce it on Twitter. Uh, we've got signing day coming up that we'll cover, but I think also with that, not to jump ahead to recruiting, but I think the days of college programs signing 20, 22, 25 kids are, do are done. And you're going to see maybe signing 10, 15 guys. And then you know, I think every coach would like to recruit a kid, redshirt and bring him in, get him in for four or five years and continue to be a developmental program. But everybody's using the transfer portal. Now everybody's getting hurt by the transfer portal. So it, college football is entering a, a new and interesting chapter that's half transfer portal, half COVID. And again, it's just, it's just bizarre makes our jobs interesting, but it's, it's weird, man. It's just, just weird. It's funny. Um, so I have a little bit of like a Google doc where I do notes and uh, you, you just hit one of my points and I'll, I'll use your term. You always say the, the roster attrition is fluid as they say. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um and I had, you know, Russo uh, just announced it. I mean, Dave, Ray Davis did it mid-season, which I thought was very interesting. Um, they did just get a, a running back today from Illinois as a grad transfer. So, yep. you know, you could you can see where we can benefit from it, how well he does is, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think this season it really was uh, – I, I agree with you, and as a Temple fan and now, you know, podcaster, I agree that I think the team is better than what that record said, especially – the last four games are so hard to judge, you know, what, once the, the COVID, uh, what was it? The last three or four games, they said they barely had 55 scholarship players suit up for some of those games. Yeah. I mean, in the, um, but going back and checking, you know, the ECU game, I uh, got Russo was on the, the COVID protocol list, Griff Sestilli, Victor Stoffel, uh, you know, Duncan was out. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and double check. You know, there there are certain people out there who get a little chippy and defensive when they talk about reporting their their scholarship counts, uh, the number of scholarship players available. But um, you know, I mean, in that ECU game, Jaden Blue was out, Linwood Crump was out, 
Joe Hooper's out, Adam Klein, Vince Picozzi, Amir Tyler. And then, you know, when you have a player who tests positive and then you have, and then you have Christian Raswell, Camille Brown, Arnold Ebiketti, Nate Wyatt, contact trace. You know, we, uh, we were talking to Alex Odom last week and just asking him, you're a true freshman safety. What's it like playing back there when all these guys, all these important players who are normally around you are gone. And you're looking around and Amir Tyler, we're actually, I, I, I think I can safely say that Amir Tyler will be back. He's doing our podcast Wednesday mm-hmm. and we're going to have him on. I, unless something changes, I've got good information that would tell me that I think Isaiah Grimm is going to be back. We'll see what happens with Dan Archibong and, and, um, and um, Ifan Maje. I think they'll have a fair amount of guys that come back. But again, when it, when they got to the end of the season, again, you have to ask yourself, how successful can these guys be when they're looking around and it is a team game and you're supposed to communicate with somebody. And in, in the, in the COVID world, again, everybody has these stories to varying degrees. It's like, Oh, by the way, you're hitting the field with this guy. And you know, I, some of these guys really don't even know each other all that well. If it's a, a walk on, you know, what, what's life like for Kamal Gray when he wakes up Saturday morning and they say, Hey, get down to the lobby. We're going to do a walkthrough with you in the lobby or get, get, do a walkthrough with you in any part of the hotel and say, okay, these are the packages that we have installed for you. We've been all, all night talking about this. It, it sounds like excuses, but like how, how can some of these teams be truly successful under those circumstances? That's why you know, I tip my hat to Cincinnati, Indiana programs like that. They're having some great, really memorable seasons. Uh, because it's hit everybody to varying degrees, but at the end of the season, they just they just had no shot of being successful. They had no at times of being safe, you know. And these guys have lived in a weird world where you know Alex Odom had said, you know, just like Rod Carey said, they had mixed feelings about not playing Cincinnati. The competitor in you wants to say, yeah, we're going to play this game. We want to see if we can beat them and upset them. But you know, do 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 you go out there and risk getting hurt and setting back? this position group or that position group. It's just, it's, it's strange. It's real. Again, it's really strange. I know I keep saying that, but now they have to just really recover, get to spring ball, hope that a vaccine takes hold. Rod Carey had said that they're, he's going to try to push at media availability last week. He said, he's going to try to push spring ball back as late as he can, maybe start spring ball after April. Whereas normally they would be done by mid April. See if he can push it back as far as he can. So hopefully the pandemic isn't as bad then, or maybe it'll be hopefully on its way out. Um, but it's when it got to that point where they were literally limping to, to the finish line again, it's just, I'm sure they were looking around saying, we just don't want anybody to suffer a career ending injury, get sick. It's again, just bizarre. Yeah, no. And I agree. Like next year is already in so many question marks. Um, I guess the only one, like you guys, media availability was so restricted this year. So it's it's really hard to ask any prediction questions about what you think for next season when, you know, you barely had anything to to go with this season. Um, do you think they're happy with the quarterback room right now or do you think they're going to go grad transfer route or some form of transfer portal? I think they were. I think they would have looked. Well, they're definitely going to be looking. They're definitely going to be looking for a grad transfer now. Um, or maybe, maybe a potential transfer. I think that they would have been looking regardless, mm-hmm. even if Anthony Russo had come back. Now they definitely will be looking for a transfer. I'll be utterly shocked if they don't, if they don't sign a grad transfer at some point, whether it's later this month in a couple of weeks or whether it's in, in February. Um, there are a couple of intriguing names out there, but 
I, I don't know ultimately who they're going to get. I mean, do they do they still like Trad Betty? Does he have a shot? Yeah, but we'll see. And we, I haven't talked to Trad, but if they bring in a grad transfer from the FCS level who can clearly play and maybe looks like the shoe in to start, if you're Trad Betty or Real Mitchell, are you looking around and saying, all right, you know, what's going on here? Is it time to is it time to go? Is it or am I going to, you know, lock in and try to compete for the job? I mean, I think that, I think that they like, again, I think that they like, they're intrigued by what they have in Matt Duncan. Again, Rod said that I, I don't know what he did, but he's been reinstated. So he's back on the roster. I, I would have liked to have seen him play against DCU to see what he yeah. could do. Again, he would have been doing it with, again, a really depleted roster. Um, you know, so Duncan, as far as we know, will be back. Um, we'll see what happens with Real Mitchell. Is he playing quarterback next year? Does he get moved to another position? Or if the staff says to him, we want to move you to another position, does he say, oh, I'm frustrated. Maybe that's what Iowa State had asked him to do. Does he leave again? Um, but I'd be, yeah, I'd be shocked. I think they'll, they'll, you will most likely see them get a, a, a transfer quarterback, maybe a grad transfer quarterback. It becomes, I think, even more important now with Russo deciding to go. Yeah, and I... I liked Russo a lot. I think his talent was there is the decision-making that just crushed him at times, which was unfortunate to see. And I, I agree with what you said earlier, like going into the season, I, I didn't have him at 12 and 0, but I had him. I thought they had a really good roster. I mean, they kind of addressed the offensive line situation with some transfers. The receiving core was good. And I thought Russo was, if they played a 10 game season, I thought he had a good chance of throwing like 25 touchdowns, probably had 12 interceptions, but I, I thought he had, the, the tools of an offense to kind of have a good year and obviously with COVID and everything and the just overall disappointing season. So I, when he announced he was transferring, I was not surprised, but I was a little upset to kind of see like his career end at Temple the way it did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, he finishes up an interesting chapter at Temple because, you know, when, when he came in from Archbishop Wood, you know, I, you probably remember he had committed to Rutgers, decommitted, it's kind of a big deal for Temple to get him. Then he comes in, and then everyone who had seen him play, it, the typical fan thing takes hold. How come he's not playing? How come he's not playing? What's going on? What's going on? And I think there was a time when you know I talked to enough people on the on, you know, people who had seen him play in high school, people from the previous staff, and they didn't know which way his career was going to go. And at some point, things started to click for him. What has has he ever been a complete quarterback? No, we know that his. His decision making at times leaves a lot to be desired. He he has said numerous times, you know, he doesn't he doesn't skirt this issue. He'll say, my, my arm, I rely too much on my arm talent. I think I can make that throw, bad read, whatever. But you know, they're they're a they're a better team depending on who they would bring in as a grad transfer. I'd have to kind of, you know, I don't know, probably hedge my answer here a little bit, but. You know, they're a better team. You know, it's a loss for him to leave. Yeah. I'm not totally surprised because now this is what you deal with. You know, the American is going to have to fight hard to not be a minor league feeding system mm -hmm. for other programs. Again, when Houston lost Derek King to Miami, I mean, look okay. at what he's done for Miami. Quincy Roche leaving and, uh, yeah. And again, it's that the narrative is going to be there is something wrong at Temple, something wrong at Temple. Yeah. You know, but, with Russo getting back to Russo, yeah, I mean, he, you could see, you could see there is a clear drop off when he's hurt, mm -hmm. and maybe, maybe Trad Betty preparing as the starter for 
a normal camp in August, maybe he fares better. Maybe, you know, Matt Duncan can do some exciting things for you. I mean, I think the staff really is excited about, I know they're really excited about, uh, about Justin Lynch, Jordan Lynch's younger brother, but he's going to be mm -hmm. 17 years old when he gets to temple. I don't think they want to be playing him. I think in a perfect world and even a normal world, he red shirts mm -hmm. and, you know, and, you know, you start Duncan or you start a grad transfer and whoever that grad transfer is, is the perfect bridge guy. Just like I'm sure, you know, Michigan State seems to be a lot of their coaches seem to be following Anthony Russo. So maybe he ends up there. You know, Anthony, a guy like Anthony Russo becomes the perfect bridge guy to the next person. Mm -hmm. And again, I think, the, again, the, the power five programs are going to pluck from Temple, just like, you know, just like Miami did with Quincy Roche and Temple will try to do that. You know, yeah. I mean, they get a, you know, so, um, but it's now you're coming off a one and six season, a COVID, a COVID wrecked season, and you're going into it in the off season, not knowing who your quarterback is going to be, but you know, what else can they do other than hit the reset button and, and see what they get out of somebody like Duncan again, maybe trads an outside guy. I'll be surprised if Real Mitchell really factors into the quarterback battle next year. I think it's going to be maybe a battle between, you know, a grad transfer, Matt Duncan, Mario Valenti kind of gets forgotten about. He came over as a transfer from Northern Illinois, but he, I mean, he was a legitimate scholarship guy at Northern Illinois and he's a little bit of a dual threat guy. He's from the Midwest, but went down to, did he go down to IMG? The Florida guy played down there and he can run a little bit and he can throw it a little bit. And, you know, they've brought up his name a couple of times. So, you know, the quarterback position is always going to be interesting at any program. Now it becomes really, really interesting for Temple. And now, you know, covering spring ball is going to be really interesting. Hopefully we'll be able to actually cover some practices in person because, and again, I'm not complaining. We had to be safe, but now it's just, you're not at practice. You're talking to the coaches on zoom and you're, you're thankful for the availability that you get. And a lot of times just so, so listeners and fans know, most of the time we're either seeing the first 15 minutes of practice or last 15 minutes. And by then strategically they're working on special teams or some other drill work and they don't want to show their hand too much. But in the past, you know, in the preseason heading into his first season, Rod Carey, I think made, they made their first six or seven practices in preseason camp open. So you would get to see some stuff and you would say, Hey, kind of hedging things here a little bit, but I'm at practice right now. I can see that this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this, this guy are on the offensive line and running with the ones. And then this guy got some first team snaps. This guy got some second team snaps. You just couldn't see any of that this year. That wasn't possible. So now again, hopefully, you know, even if we're standing on the sideline and masks in April, hopefully we can cover spring ball and get some insight into, you know, what's, you know, what's going on, you know, who the quarterbacks are, you know, who's getting first team reps at running back and stuff like that. So, but yeah, Russo's a loss. Doesn't mean he's irreplaceable, but coming off of a tough season, that's unlike anything we've ever seen. Tough time to lose your quarterback, but I'm not totally surprised. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with everything you said. It sucks about Real Mitchell because I think, you know, in August there was people specifically, you know, like even on Al Scoop that were saying, like, can Real Mitchell be the guy to replace Russo? And, you know, he didn't get the best look at him given everything we talked about. The offense was a little depleted by the time he got in there. And I don't know, I don't want to call it a fair judgment, but I think – we, we're honestly saying that he, he doesn't seem to be as big of a factor as we thought three months ago, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see just some of what I've been able to gather. 
again, I, I get teased for saying this too. Like, again, like you've said, like things are incredibly, incredibly fluid, but I, I just have a feeling that you might see him either get asked to play. And I think he's a legit four, three or four, four guy speed wise. So if he doesn't win the quarterback job, the staff might say, okay, where else can we use you? Yeah. Just like when Matt rule had the conversation with Chris core and say, Hey, I appreciate what you've done for this program. You did win us a bowl game, but you might work better. You might work better at tight end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that eventually, you know, eventually, eventually paved the way for, for PJ Walker. So again, I think quarterback wise, I think long-term and again, it's, I'm saying this about a guy who is still currently living in Chicago. I think Lynch is their long-term hope, but again, it could be, it could be Duncan, but again, I don't think you want Justin Lynch in there as a 17 year old true freshman, but you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll transition into, uh, to basketball now. Uh, which their season also already has gotten the the COVID uh, delay. And I know even prior to that, McKee, I think in a week, a couple of weeks ago, it said like they've only practiced what, six times or something like that. Yeah. They've had, or so. they've had to stop and start a bunch of times. And I, I don't, you know, do I think that Rick Patino is the most ethical person in the world? No, but do I agree with his, his notion that, they should push back the season and go for some sort of May madness thing. Yeah. I mean, it's you for temple. And again, I think people listening to your podcast probably know by now that the, the, the city of Philadelphia has very strict COVID restrictions and I'm, I'm not being critical of that, but as of now, as we understand it, and Craig Angelos explained this to us, he's an associate AD at temple. He's the basketball administrator. Anybody temple wants to play at the Leah Corps center has to have seven straight days seven straight COVID tests. If they have one games off and if temple has one, the games off. So you see, you know, temple hasn't even really been able to start yet. St. Joe's goes down, plays in that tournament in Florida. They come back, boom, they're paused. So, you know, for, for temple. Yeah. Again, they've had to stop and start. And again, <laughs> there's no ideal time for something like this, but when your temple and you chose to overhaul your roster, which I agree with, you know, I think that the Aaron needed to take a hard look at his roster and say, okay, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn into a final four team overnight, but there are things I like about this roster, things I don't like about this roster. Where can we upgrade? Which freshmen can we bring in? Which transfers can have an impact? I mean, it's just a bad time to be affected by COVID when you have, you know, Caleb battles new is the, a talented transfer from Butler. Yes. But Damian Dunn, they're really excited about Damian Dunn, but he's played half of a game at Tulsa before going back on the shelf. You know, Jaleel White, uh, Aaron just told us a couple weeks ago, was really starting to look good before he re-injured the meniscus in his left knee that he hurt at, at Wildwood Catholic. You have all these new pieces. Sage Tolbert, if he plays it all this year, might play in February. He's coming off of a knee injury. The guys that you have who are your holdovers are, are, are J.P. Mormon, Jake, uh, Jake Forrester, you know, you don't know when the when Ty Strickland's going to be ready for the season. There's just been so much roster overhaul. I think they're a very intriguing roster, but this is literally the worst time to marry these two elements of overhauled roster, limited practice time. Uh, not only just limited practice time in the preseason, but they couldn't do much of anything in the summer. At a, at a previous media availability session, um, one of the reporters, I can't remember who asked JP, you know, what kind of JP Mormon, what kind of chemistry can you build? He's like, you can't, he's like, you just can't build real chemistry over zoom. And then, you know, Jeremiah Williams is one of those guys who literally never seen the campus. He committed sight unseen. You know, Jeremiah Williams and Quincy Adam McCoy knew each other when they were younger, 
but now they're getting to know how to play with each other. Um, you know, Ty Strickland practiced with the team a lot last year and showed a lot more practice. Showed, excuse me, showed a lot more promise during practice. But it's, you know, you're either a you're either a a, a roster of one and dones future lottery picks that can probably maybe just have pure talent overtake things, or you're a team that has the luxury of returning a lot of great players and and consistency and maybe you weather this, but. It's, it's again, it's just going to be weird. I think college basketball is going to be even tougher. Like, how do you, it's just going to be, if you're an athletic director this year, if you weren't busy from football, now you're going to be really busy with basketball. It's going to be a situation again, Craig Angelus told us this, where it might be, it might be halfway through January where, you know, you were set to play a team. They had to pause because of a, a positive case and, and another team in your, you know, across the country, might have an open date because the team they were set to play had to pause. And then you look at each other, like, Hey, you guys want to get a game together? You know, like yeah. it's going to be a weird season like that. But for temple, there's an extra layer because again, Philly has been, has been very strict, but I, I think if you're a temple fan, if you're expecting anything above a 500 season from this team, I think you, I think you have really high expectations for him. doesn't mean that Aaron couldn't have things headed in the right direction. He's got some really intriguing pieces on this roster, but again, it's just a bad, Bad time to have overhauled the roster and couple it again with COVID. Yeah, and I agree with a the the basketball is going to be tougher. Uh, my biggest thing is like you know basketball usually you might have a game on a Tuesday and then a game a Saturday, mm -hmm. and if that positive COVID test happens, you know you're missing you know quarantining for ten to fourteen days, whatever yep. it is. Mm -hmm. Like you're missing at least two games, possibly three games. Yep. Whereas like football, it was you could you know you miss a week, maybe next week you have a bye. You could maybe lose one game out of COVID. Whereas yeah. basketball, you're, it's, it's just going to tally up. Like I could see, and I don't want this to happen, obviously. <laughs> it could be January and, you know, Temple could be on its third game and you could have a team that has been playing since now and they're on their 14th game. Yeah, It just won't make sense. But uh, yeah. again, that's just, I kind of agree. I thought basketball probably should have gotten pushed back till like the start of it till the end of January. But yeah. I, uh, at the same time, unfortunately, there's just so much money to be made that that's where they're yep. on TV. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's what yeah. it is. Um, yeah. I do. I like how you said, you you know, expectation wise, 500 is pushing it for this team again because of everything you just said. But, you know, it is a, a roster overhaul. Um, but I I mean, I was a, a process Sixers fan and I kind of enjoy a season like this. And that, mm -hmm. aspect, you know, you get the freshmen a lot of playing time. And, you know, I love JP and Dre and stuff, but I would love to see a lineup with Quincy, Jalil, if he was healthy and done all three of them together and see how it, you know, rolls out. Like that's enjoyable to me because it, it sets the future, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, we'll have to see because I still think, so there is the possibility and last we checked into it, it's not, it's not official yet, but they could still fit that NJIT game in on December 19th before they play what would be a really tough season opener at Houston on the 22nd. If you can get, if everybody stays healthy, if you can get that NJIT game in, then you at least have one game. Now, the the intriguing thing now might be, okay, now you know that the Caliph Battle is eligible. He got his waiver. You know that Brendan Barry. Now I don't. Will Brendan Barry play? He will have finished. I think he finished his work at Dartmouth. And again, we're talking about the 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 grad transfer from Dartmouth who can shoot the hell out of the ball. Um, you know, I think he finished his coursework at Dartmouth two days ago. As of now, I think that he would be eligible 
to start playing at Temple December 17th. I think they're trying to get a waiver to see if they can get him to play earlier and practice earlier. Otherwise, you know, does Brendan Barry come in? Hey, guys, I've only known you for two days, but now I'm going to get out there and play a few minutes. Again, he can shoot. Caleb Battle can shoot. So now when you start the season, you are going to have two pieces that can that can put the ball in the basket. Um, now you couple that with a roster of J.P. Mormon, you know, Dre Perry, Jake Forrester. I would safely assume that all those guys are going to start, but we'll see. Um, you're right. Like it, it's it's going to be for however long they can evaluate these guys, depending on how many games they can get in. You know, yeah, it could be like a process-oriented season. It's like, okay, you see some flashes from Caleb Battle. If Brendan Barry takes advantage, we we had him on our podcast a couple weeks ago, and we asked him, hey, we know we're, they're, we're really putting the cart before the horse here, but this, again, if this ends up being an eligibility-free season, would you would you want to come back? You know, and I don't, I can't remember if we phrased it exactly like this, but if it's a stop and start type of season and you come to Temple, you know, the Ivy League season was canceled and you come to Temple and maybe you only get to play five, six, eight, ten games, depending on how things go. Do you look around and say, man, I really want a full season again? I didn't play last year because of a hip injury. Brendan Barry was out because of that. Do you come back for another year? Now, if Brendan Barry comes back for another year, now you start adding a valuable piece there, a guy that has been with your program for a whole year and is a little crafty again by his own admission. He's not super quick, but he can shoot it. Um, so you'll you'll really just literally have to see. It is really just going to be a developmental year for them. They would be considering all the circumstances, the new players. They would be shocking the world if they won a conference title this year or got to whatever the hell the NCAA tournament. It's just like if Jeremiah Warding point guard. For the opener, and again, he, he was—I probably an, a bit of an under-recruited player out of Simeon High School in Chicago, but he might start at the point for them if Ty Strickland's not ready. They have a lot of intriguing pieces, but for, again, for us to think that it's all going to gel naturally this year, you know, Aaron McKee would have to be a miracle worker. But they're just going to really have to hope that okay, we see these flashes out of Quincy Adam McCoy. He, okay, he has a chance to be as good as as we thought he could be. Uh, wow, you see. You know, Caleb Battle reminds me a little bit of how he can catch and shoot. Reminds me a little bit of Deontay Christmas. We've got something there. Um, Jeremiah Scrappy can can be a tough on the ball defender, a guy that can that can get you minutes at the point. Um, Jake has taken a step. JP knows his role better. Dre can still shoot and knows his role. They just have to see positive signs. You know, again, I don't think they're going to be a completely destitute team that doesn't win, but. It's just going to be hard, but again, you, I think you just have to look for 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 signs of progress and for Aaron and the staff. You know how he shuffled the lineup and how he used guys and how deep he went with his bench last year was obviously a storyline. Now it's really going to be a storyline this year, just because of again, just the demands of trying to get a season in. For me, I think it's a shame. You know, like I, I think Jaleel White has a chance to be a good player. When I heard Aaron and then a couple other people I've talked to just, you know, in addition to Aaron have talked about like, Hey, he really looked good, really looked good in practice. They were really optimistic about what they were seeing with him. A guy that can play one through four can handle a ball. Again, I think the hope with him is that, okay, you really get him the right surgery on his meniscus, really rest him. If he comes back at all, maybe late February, early March, but you may not see him this year, but they just have to hope that they take a couple steps forward. But again, Temper your expectations there. <laughs>
And I, I agree. I'm, I'm a big Jaleel White fan. You know, uh, the, the length in him is just something you can't teach. And I, like you said, guards one through four. Uh, so I was excited for him. And it, it is unfortunate that it sounds like we might not see him at all this year, let, you know, mm-hmm. at least not till a couple of months. So right now, who do you think are, you said the, the three starters, probably Mormon, Perry and uh, Jake. Who, who do you think the other two are as of now? I know Ty still is coming back from an injury. You think Battle gets this other starting one of the starting spots? I, this is this is my best educated guess. I think if they play December nineteenth against NJIT, I think your starters are JP Mormon, Dre Perry, Jake Forrester, Damian Dunn, and I think I think Jeremiah Williams might get the start at the point if Ty Strickland's not ready. They've been bringing Ty back again. Had a shoulder injury. He's been doing a lot of, had been doing. I think some, you know, some five on zero non contact stuff. I think they're, they he's getting closer. Um, I think he's going to be right on the borderline of like what are, whether or not he's ready to play on the 19th. So if Ty has gotten in, and again, this is where COVID comes into play. If they hadn't had to pause recently, I might say, okay, maybe Ty Strickland's got a pretty clear shot of starting that, what that potential opener on the 19th. If not, I think, I, I think Jeremiah Williams is your starter. And again, I, he's not a lights out shooter. You have to hope that he handles the ball. Well, just gets the offense going. However, it gets started, whether it's like get out there and run or tries to set up whatever you're doing in the pick and roll or half court or whatever. That would be my best guess right now. I think JP, uh, JP, uh, Dre Perry and Jake are your three safest locks to start. Again, I, I just I really feel like they're they're very excited about Damian Dunn. Again, he's got to stay healthy, and uh, I think it's going to be those three, Damian and and Jeremiah, to start the season with maybe Ty as a wild card. Um, and then if you were building out the rotation again, Brendan Barry, Quincy Adam McCoya, doubt we'll see Sage Tolbert play until maybe February again, again, if it's an eligibility free season, which is the only way I don't think they're going to get a waiver granted for him coming out of Southeast Missouri state. They like him a lot. He had a knee injury right before he left, you know, his previous school, but they really like him a lot, but I, I, that would be my best guess at a starting five, those five with maybe Ty on the fringe, Uh, you know, Brendan Barry can really shoot it, but I doubt they would, I doubt they would start him. I think Jaleel might have pushed to start had he, you know, again, not re-injured his meniscus. But I think those are the five that you'd be looking at. I'll be surprised if that's not the starting lineup. Again, I think the only guy that could change things up would be Ty Strickland if he's ready. Um, and then I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Quincy. I know Adam McCoye, I believe is yeah. the correct pronunciation. Yep. Um, yeah. I just I feel like he he just looks more um smooth, I think is the word I want. Like just based yeah. off his highlights. Like he he doesn't look like somebody and I don't say this in a bad way, like Temple kind of gets like those fringe two, three star guys, whereas he looks yep. like a guy like he is that like, like NBA potential looking guy, just from my point of view, which is not that great. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, fans <laughs> see things that we don't and vice versa. I mean, I think that, you know, a couple of people I've talked to have said, you know, coaches will say sometimes he's got a chance and they don't say a chance at what, but that's like their way of kind of like dangling it out there. And I think people talk about Quincy in that sense. With Quincy, it's just getting a full offseason under his belt, getting more muscle on him, just getting stronger. Uh, again, uh, unless you're talking about top 25, top 30, top 50 guys that that might be one and done or two and done that really don't 
hit much of a barrier when it comes to the physicality of like adjusting to the physicality of college basketball. I think a lot of recruits go through this with Quincy. It'll just be a strength thing, finding a shot. You can bring in a guy that's a, a, a lights out shooter from high school, but he still has to find his shot at the college level. He has to get to the right spots on the floor. He has to have confidence in his shot, but I agree. I mean, again, if you watch him, he can, he can, he can really shoot it. He's very athletic. I think that they're very, excited about him. And, you know, we've reported on this too. He is a guy who was being recruited was, I think at one point, fairly close to reclassifying to 2021. There were some ACC programs in his ear telling him to do that. There were some SEC programs in his ear telling him to do that. There were some big East programs in his ear telling him to do that saying, if you reclassify to 21, you're going to see your recruitment blow up. And Temple really had to fend off those programs at the end to get him. And he's kind of indicative. I know that Temple just got uh, a couple of good players in this 2020 class and Zach Hicks from Camden Catholic, who they're really excited about. A lot of local people are really excited about him. And Heiser Miller, you know, some people see him as a consolation prize to Stevie Mitchell. And Stevie Mitchell's really good. Uh, you yeah. know, Heiser Miller's nickname is Fabe. I don't think Fabe is, you know, I'd be lying if I said he's as good as an offensive player as Stevie. I, I don't, I think I would just be selling people a false bill of goods if I said that, but he's a good player and he's a tough player. That sounds cheesy to some fans, but I think he'll be a very good player at Temple. They're really excited about getting a couple of guys who are local and they just lost out. Well, I don't know when you're going to post this, you know, they were in the mix for Jamil Brown from the Haverford school. They're not, you know, hoping, hoping to get an early commitment out of him from 2022 um, he's either going to pick Purdue or, or Xavier, I think. And so the optics of that, you know, people are going to say that they lost out on another local kid. Cause as of now, if it stays, if things stay the same, Temple would bring in one more player in the 21 class who I think they'll, they'll probably hold out for a transfer. Jamil would be the one scholarship in 2022. They're not getting him. So a lot of times the pressure is there, get a local kid, get local kids, get local kids. Uh, I've been saying this on blue in the face they just need to get difference making players wherever they can get them and quincy is that type of kid where i think they'll they'll say we'll go down to georgia to get a kid like this we'll go down to north carolina to get a kid like this i think right now until temple wins and makes a couple of tournament runs or at least gets back to consistently getting into the tournament they're not the cool program in town villanova is the cool program in town that just is what it is i'm not trying to take a swipe at aaron but they're not cool enough locally. Yes, they're, there's a little bit more buzz with Aaron, but they ain't happening overnight. People kind of have to get to know this roster. And Quincy Adam McCoy is the type of guy where you have to say, okay, we think he's a high major player. We get him from somewhere else. And if people are saying, well, you got to get local kids, got to get local kids. Yeah, you do. But right now you have to get good players wherever you can get them from. And if Jeremiah Williams turns into like, a potential six man of the year at some point, you can say, Oh, now we have a connection at Simeon. Are we going to get the guys coming out of Simeon that go to Kentucky Duke? No, but you know, you might be, if he's the second or third best player on that roster out there and you forge a recruiting connection in Chicago, who cares? Who cares where you get them? I think Aaron needs to get things to the point where it's like some of the local kids wake up and say, Oh, wow. That they took Quincy Adam McCoy from Georgia. Well, they're not afraid to recruit outside of the area because temples in this tough spot right now where it's like you hang in with a local kid, hang in with a local kid. You hope to get them, but they've just, they've done that dance with Rishi Jordan, Tony Carr, you know, there are various reasons why they didn't get those guys. Um, 
But, you know, Quincy could be that guy where, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to average 12, 14 points a game this year. You, you probably see some flashes out of him where you're like, wow, I can see what they see in him. And then they might, you might see some moments where, you know, he gets pushed off the block trying to follow his own shot or something like that. You're like, okay, he needs, he needs some work, but I think he potentially has the chance to be a guy where they say, wow, they were able to go down to Georgia and get a kid who has SEC, ACC, Biggie's talent. And they, they had to go out and get some of those difference makers from outside the area before they can really kind of compete with Nova for, for kids locally. Yeah. And I agree. Like the, the class coming in with Hicks and Miller, it is good to see it, but it, I don't think it, as, as you said, like it, just get players, just get, you know, yeah. it doesn't necessarily matter. I would love to get every great player from Philly. Um, and it, when I was there 2009 to 13, I mean, they, I was looking back at the rosters back then. And I mean, Khalif Wyatt was a Norristown guy. Uh, Raleigh was a Chester guy. I mean, they did get yeah. a lot of local guys back then. And for whatever reason, I mean, obviously Nova becoming what Nova is today has hurt them, unfortunately. And then, um, yeah, I mean, they were in that, they were in that spot where, and I, I was just talking to someone about this recently and, you know, you go back to, there's, you know, there's, there's a foundation for this and there, there are, there's a rhyme and a reason for where they are today. And, um, with, you know, at the, at the risk of just opening up the whole can of worms on like, where, how do you, how do you totally or accurately describe Fran Dunphy's legacy? great person, won a ton of games just at the end of the day in 13 seasons, only won two NCAA tournament games. Sometimes it was bad luck. Sometimes it was just, Hey, they, they blew it in the tournament. Um, there were recruits that they tried to get and didn't get. They had some, some guys that they had a shot at that would have been real difference makers, you know, regardless of what his reasoning was losing Deandre Bembry to St. Joe's hurt. You shouldn't all due respect to Phil, you know, Phil Martelli, you, Shouldn't always be losing recruiting battles to him, but you know, losing DeAndre Bembry, um, Tyreek Duran going to LaSalle, even if John Giannini said, Hey, ball's yours for four years, yeah, he could have been a difference maker. At one point, Temple was in really, really good shape with Daniel Oshefu, but Jay Wright can kind of swoop in at the last moment and get a kid like that. But eventually, they're, eventually they're going to have to get a Jameel Brown. Eventually, they're going to have to get a Stevie Mitchell. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to get again, a bunch of one and done guys, but you have to, you have to get difference makers period, regardless of where you get them from. Again, it's been way too long since they've had a player in the NBA that doesn't help you with recruiting. They got to get a kid in the pros sooner rather than later, but you have to get those difference makers, but getting a local one would help. Now, again, there are people who love Zach Hicks. I mean, you have Brandon Williams on obviously biases is a you coach, but people are really, really high on Zach. They're high on, you know, they're high on Isaiah Miller, Again, I think that third scholarship guy will probably be a, a grad transfer. We'll see. But Quincy could hopefully be one of those guys that kind of unlocks some potential there. But they need, you know, the optics of every time they go after a guy locally and don't get a, a local blue chipper, it's just like they're not the fan base is like Temple's not there yet. Temple's not there yet. And they're and they're not. And I don't know that this is unfortunately, this is just gonna be one of those crappy years where from the outside looking in, people are gonna say, Woof, Temple's a five hundred team. I haven't heard of half of these guys. You know, you still have some people from the outside looking in saying, why did Josh Pierre-Louis end up where he, why didn't Nate come back? Why didn't his brother come back? Is something wrong with the program? It's just all there, there's been all this roster turnover, but I think that they have 
a lot of pieces in place that they really like, but they have to continue to get difference makers. And like you said, when you look back at Khalif, Raleigh or Jefferson, those were guys that, you know, Raleigh was a glue guy, um, but to get him out of Chester was still pretty good. Uh, Khalif was a guy that I got the chance to see play a few times in person. And you remember he was sort of under recruited, but yet yeah. they need more players like him. Something like a guy with as cliches, as it sounds a guy with a little bit of moxie. I saw him in concert hockey out by your neck of the woods, saw him in the Don Frio classic and saw him just drop bucket for bucket trading buckets with Dalton pepper, who eventually transferred to temple. And I remember, and you've seen, you've seen on Alf scoop. Sometimes if I defend recruit, people will say, Oh, you just have rose colored glasses. I'm like, I'll talk to people who've seen him play. And if I have seen him play in person, I will tell you what I think. And, you know, people looked at Khalif's offer sheet and it was Delaware, Drexel, LaSalle and Temple. And that was about it. He didn't have high major offers, but I remember watching him play and I was like, he reminded me a little bit of like a Khalid El Amin type of guy going back to way back to like the guy that played at UConn. He was just a crafty score, had an attitude. And I remember saying, yeah, he's going to have to come to Temple and he's going to have to drop some baby fat. And then, you know, you know, he, Bud heads with with Dunphy a little bit, and Dunphy okay. had the reverse psychology with him and said, "Maybe you should transfer." And he's like, "I don't want to transfer." Yeah, and he just was a guy who, and again, going back to recruiting, Khalif, if he just had a little bit more help, if yep. he just yep. had a little bit more help. The difference between <laughs> the difference between Khalif White and Victor Oladipo, obviously, Victor is in the league, but Victor had a little, another bolt in the chamber to help him out, and. You know, Scooty Randall just picked the worst day to have a lot of bad luck and go over twelve. But that yep. that shows you where they need to turn the corner. They need difference makers. So when you get to the tournament, if one guy's off, you can bring somebody else off the bench, and and, and you're not living and dying just off of you know again pick any of the 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 tournament shortcomings. I mean, Temple's. You know, now I'm really going off on a tangent here. Ryan Brooks holds James Harden to one of nine shooting. And you'd like your odds there, but Derek Lasser hurts them. And these other guys hurt them. So they did have a good stretch there of good recruits with Khalif, with Raleigh or Jefferson. They had bad luck with, they had bad luck with Ernest of Flackby. If Ernest of Flackby, there are people I talked to had said when Ernest hurt his knee in high school at Carroll, he still had a pretty solid career at Temple, but not a, not an NBA career, but he wasn't quite the same coming off his knee injury. The Trey Lowe story is just a tragedy. Trey that would have been really good. That's not Dump's fault. No. The whole Jalen Brunson disaster was not, you know, was not his fault. And, you know, kudos to Jalen for, for having a great career and, you know, doing well at Nova and winning a, winning a title there. But it's, you were, you were at Temple during an interesting time where they got into a group where they were winning. They learned how to win in February learn how to win in early March, but not, or sometimes not all the time in early March. Sometimes they had early, you know, conference tournament exits, but you know, the, the whole thing that fans want is okay. Aaron has to take it beyond that. Obviously, you know, if you're temple, you want to say, well, we can be, we can be Xavier. We can be Cincinnati. You know, we can be a team that why, why can't we get to a sweet 16? Why can't we get to an elite eight? We have high major facilities, we don't have little sister of the poor facilities and they've just upgraded the practice facility again. So I think, do they potentially have some guys on this roster that could do that and push the envelope to be real difference makers? Yes, but it's just a shame because you're not going to see the, I just don't think with the way the season, with the challenges they're facing with the season, it's just, it's just set up to, 
to be inconsistent. You know, like, you know, if you're a Quincy Adam McCoy fan and maybe he second or third game of the season, he drops 14 points off the bench off of like five of seven shooting and has a great game. And then they're paused for two weeks and then he comes back and the whole team's cold and he shoots one for eight off the bench. Then people are like, Oh, how good is he? It's just, it's again, I know I'm repeating myself. It's just going to be a weird tumultuous season, but you know, they've got a shot with guys like Caleb battle has a chance to be a really good score. He's got to get a little bit better as a ball handler, but he's got a shot. Quincy's got a shot. Um, you know, Brendan Barry can, you know, he's, I don't know that he's necessarily a future pro, but he can really, you know, he can really shoot the ball. And obviously we're a year away from seeing Zach Hicks and, and I Miller, but I think they've added, I think they have upgraded the roster. I just don't think that you're going to see the full benefits of it. I don't think you'll, they will be able to reap the benefits of it this year, just with everything they're facing. Yeah. And I agree. It is. It is if, if you had full practices this whole time and, you know, since then, maybe they could be that, you know, kind of surprise team and maybe jump above 500, but it does, it just seems like the odds are against them. Um, the only yeah. one guy you didn't mention, uh, Nick Jordan is officially redshirting, I assume. No, I don't, I don't know that they haven't said anything like that. I okay. think that, just, um, he's just, I know he's going to be lower down the, the totem pole and I know he's got to probably put on some weight as well. Well, so he's another guy that, you know, he was, he was prepping, he was at, uh, Immaculate Conception, North Jersey, and then he went to Covenant College Prep, a prep school in Jersey. And he was starting to, you know, some Big East programs were starting to sniff around on him. He's really athletic. He's six eight, um, and he's got some potential. That the scouting report I've heard on him is he can really flash in practice. And I think I think Aaron mentioned him in the, in the last media availability and said he's shown some flashes. I've talked to a couple other people who've seen him play, and they said you know, with some freshmen, you know, one trip down the floor, like who's that? Next trip down the floor, okay, it's he's going to take some time, but. Um, could he see some minutes this year? Sure. I mean, like, again, Arashman Parks has turned into a better player than I, than I thought he would. And I think he gave them some good minutes last year, but his, his shoulder injury, his shoulder, it, it could, uh, until we see otherwise could always be a chronic thing. So if, you know, if Arashman re-injures his shoulder and Jake Forrester gets into foul trouble, yeah, you could play some small ball with JP and, and Dre JP might be a little better playing inside, but JP and Dre aren't guys as much as you don't see as much of this in college basketball anymore, like true back to the basket guys, but they can try and get what they want to get out of these guys. But, you know, maybe Nick Jordan sees some minutes this year. And again, Nick, I think wants to try to be that complete player of a guy who can play inside and can step out and shoot it. But I don't think you'll see a ton of them this year, but again, who knows, you know, who mm -hmm. knows if a couple of guys get injured, um, again, I think they like his potential. They like his athleticism. I think the guy that they're most excited about in the program, again, he's a transfer, and I, I doubt that you'll see him this year as Sage Tolbert. I think they really, really like Sage a lot, and they think that he can be a, a real difference maker as a transfer. But you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, and, and really, what's a red shirt this year? Because all yeah, these guys are going to be an <laughs> eligible. You know, but I, I say the same thing though, Sean. I'll be like, oh, is this guy going to red shirt? And think, oh, I mean, they technically all could, and and. Yeah and still play, but Nick's a guy who I think could play a few minutes here and there, but until I hear otherwise, I don't know that he would be like a, a double digit minute game guy as a, as a true freshman right now. I think the potential is there, but I think he's um, not a developmental guy in the sense that he's without tools or without skill. And he's a real project. I don't think he's, he's not that type of player as far as I can tell, but I not, think that uh, he's, dare I say Jimmy McDonald. <laughs> well, <laughs> 
Again, there's no, he's a, a great, nice guy as well. <laughs> oh, Jimmy's tremendous, and he's now he's now he's you know staying in the game and working professionally in it. But why? Why? Yeah, do you, I know. Even every scholarship counts, even if it's a depth guy. The guy was going to go to UMass Lowell. He could shoot, but you know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> didn't mean to to ruin your train of thought and just make. Oh it. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. No, it's all. Um, and then I guess to kind of end it here, two things. Uh, how has how has this affected you? How's COVID been with your job and covering the teams and covering? I mean, it's got to be. I mean, the, the same thing with you with the pauses and starts and pauses and starts. Is this? I mean, I know your availability to the teams is lessened. So, like, how have you developed a uh, COVID world? <laughs> well, I think I think any any reporter, whether you're covering college, whether you're covering college sports, whether you're covering pro sports, we're all kind of going through the same thing where you're working the phones more. Um, obviously for, for all of us, it's, and I don't know what they're going to do for basketball. I, I recently had a conversation with Jack jumper. Who's the, the sports information director at St. Joe's and had that game been played. I don't even know I think they would have had a very, very small media contingent there. Now, again, I think with, with St. Joe's being paused with temple being paused again, that game's not going to happen. I don't know if they've officially said it's not going to happen, but it's not going to happen. Um, I mean, there's a game where I live 10 minutes down the road in Havertown from St. Joe's wouldn't be a problem for me to go to that game, but you go just so you can say you're there, but then you're doing the press conference over zoom. You can't get into a scrum of people. So again, for, for people who aren't familiar with football, it's, it was basically one person per media outlet in the press box this year, which helps for football, because if you can watch a game from the press box and you can literally see, you have a better idea of when a quarterback is locking in on a receiver and watching someone else go wide open down the field, a la Carson Wentz. And he's just <laughs> missing a guy. Uh, you don't always truly get that sense when you're at the, when you're watching from home. So for us, we've had one person in the press box, the rest of us watching. And then a lot of people can ask questions on zoom post game. Um, for me, unfortunately, I've had to be really careful because um, my father's being treated for cancer right now, and I love him to death. And he's uh, he's going through it right now, and I'm very careful about you know if I know that I'm going to see him, you know, uh, you know, you couldn't have paid me all the money in the world to go cover that ECU game because I wanted to make sure I could see him, you know, on Thanksgiving, and um, I'll be careful about. I probably would be careful about going to certain games and just playing it safe, and hopefully things will be better. Uh, but you know, I haven't seen, I didn't cover a single, even a very shortened season. I did not cover a single temple game in person. Fortunately, we got a great staff, you know, Sam Cohn was there for us. Sam Newman was there for us. And fortunately, you know, it's better than nothing. We still had zoom access. So you ask your questions on zoom and then you just try to, again, just like with any beat coverage, you know, try to talk to people on the record, try to talk to people off the record for, you know, coverage wise with our podcast, with the scoop, you try to get some exclusive guests to give, give people some value added stuff. Again, like we have, we'll have Amir Tyler on, on this week's show. And that, that podcast will be up probably Wednesday night, Thursday morning. You know, last week we had Alex Odom on and, you know, what was it like to be a true freshman safety this year? When, again, when guys were coming in and out of the lineup, you know, you, you, you try to just get other voices in just like you're doing with your podcast. You know, we had Craig Angelos on what's, what's basketball going to be like this year, Craig, you have Vinny James on the football, you know, the associate AD and the football administrator, Vinny, what is, what's a COVID world like for football right now? 
you just try to get exclusive interviews where you can, where you really lose out. And again, I think any beat reporter would tell you this is you just don't have the opportunity this year to watch, to watch practice. You don't have the opportunity. So in a normal year, what when, when you're covering college football, you're up in the press box at the link. And we typically have like three or four people there. It's me, Kyle Gauss uh, in the past, people like Graham Foley, um, Sam Cohn, Sam Newman. One of us writes like the, the, you know, mere minutes after the game, game story, who, what, when, where, and why audio files are up there. And we try to get listeners and we try to get viewers that those audio files, because again, this isn't Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This isn't, you know, this isn't LSU. It isn't Penn state. There's no post-game show where they're giving you all the post-game stuff live. So we try to get people to post-game audio. I'll write a little bit more of an analytical game story. Then we have like two or three sidebars this year. Not all five of us could be up there in the press box. So in a normal year, we're all up there. And then Rich Berg from the media relations staff will bop around and say, okay, who do you guys want? And you know, obviously like they'll typically try to bring out the quarterback, the best player on defense, the, the head coach, but then you have the opportunity to say, Hey, um, you know, uh, let's say it's next year and things are hopefully back to normal. Um, you know, Tavon Rooley or maybe some new, you know, grad transfer back, like, um, you know, let's say the kid that they're, that they're bringing in Rayvon Bonner from, from Illinois, maybe he goes off for 225 yards and two touchdowns, but he's getting a lot of his yardage off the left side of the line. Maybe, maybe I say to Rich, Hey, Isaac Moore is kind of like really revitalized his career. A lot of, a lot of his yards have come off left tackle. Can you get me, can you get me Isaac Moore? Yeah, sure, John. And so maybe while other people are talking to, you know, um, Dan Archibong, Amir Tyler, and they're talking to other players. I might be the only person talking to Isaac Moore and just doing kind of having a one-on-one conversation with them and getting some good content that nobody else has. And maybe you turn off your recorder and you just talk off the record and, you know, he provides some additional context for you. Those are the opportunities that are lost right now. Now, again, this is me playing the world's smallest violin because (laughs) there are people suffering and dying right now. And it's serious. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that stuff's more important, but that's how things have changed for us in a big way. You don't have, um, you don't have those opportunities. You know, the, the baseball beat reporters, um, you know, your Todd's Leckies, the world, you know, Matt Breen, Matt Gelb, Jim Salisbury, those guys who cover the Phillies locally. Again, they're going to watch the game at citizens bank park. They can see what's going on. But afterward, they're talking on Zoom. You get whoever you get. You, you can say, hey, could, maybe you say, could we get this guy, get that guy? But you see Eagles reporters tweet about it all the time. Hey, we asked for Zach Ertz. We didn't get him. Um, we asked for this player. Um, See, so there's less in terms of – there's less availability in terms of like the volume of people that you can get, and that that hurts you with football. But again, I'm not, I'm not complaining. You know, They'll get us Rod Carey, and if they're on the road – fewer players because they have to get in and get out of there. And especially with their protocol, it's like, can't go in here. You walk over here, you know, they get you fewer players on the road, a few more at home. Uh, But that's, that's kind of where it hurts you. You can't really truly work the beat without being there in person, without observing stuff. Like, again, I mean, not to drum up drama, but you could see a guy walking out of the locker room, looking around and maybe having a heated conversation with the offensive coordinator. Again, I'm making this up and you could be like, Hmm. And you might want to talk with someone off the record. What was that about? Oh, they were just clearing the air or maybe it's something legitimate. We don't see that now on zoom. 
Um, so, you know, we could see, we could see stuff last year. You could see certain things coming. You were just a little bit more attached to the program. Like with football, I'm not surprised at all that Ray Davis is gone. Just not yeah. acting out on social media too much. Good luck to him. Always been nice to me, but not, not surprised that he's gone. I understand the optics of it from the outside looking in, you know, some fans might say, Oh, it's a coaching staff losing a talented player, but I, I wish him well wherever he goes, but it's harder to pick up that stuff. But what you do as a reporter, you adjust again, you try to work the phones more, you work your sources more, what's going on, you know, checking in with people, how you doing, <laughs> how's your family doing and just opening up those conversations that way on certain occasions. But it's changed in that sense. Uh, that's been the biggest piece of it. And it's just, um, and you just find yourself asking the players and coaches questions that you never thought you'd be asking them. Like I still like it, it's got to be a hell of a situation for, you know, players like Arnold Ebiketti, you know, Christian Braswell to be pulled from a game mere minutes, mere minutes before the game. Oh, you've been contact traced. Can't play today. That's got to be a very anxious feeling for some of these guys. And, um, obviously we're not there because of COVID, but you know, there are all sorts of questions that I'd still love to ask these guys. And how do you ask them? You try to get them on your podcast, just like you do, or you just try to get them after the game, but we're limited, but it just is what it is. So it's, it's affected me personally. Like I said, in that I've, I've had to be guarded in terms of, you know, staying away from games. Cause I love my dad and I want to be able to see him as much as I can. And, um, and then it's just adjusting your coverage and just trying to, get guys exclusively on the side, try to write some features, try to write those, those stories where you're going away from the pack, where you're not just writing about the quarterback and not writing about the running back. You try to do that in any given season, but now there's just that extra layer to it. And now with basketball, we'll try to be doing the same thing. And then for us, what doesn't change is you just try to get as much credible recruiting information as possible, do as much recruiting coverage as you can, um, you know, and, and we'll cover this incoming recruiting class for football. Um, Last year, it was fun. I live four or five blocks from Haverford High School. I was able to essentially walk over to Haverford High School, talk to Trey Blair, spend some time with him, walk around the school with him, talk to his coach. You know, Trey could could eventually be a very important piece of the football program moving forward as a, as a safety special teams guy. Um, but you won't really get to do that this year. But again, all things considered, we're thankful for what we had and that they're <laughs> – there is sports, whether or not they should have been playing, how yeah. often they should have been playing is just an endless debate. But yeah, it's it's you know, it's 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 definitely been different. So you just really it sounds cliche, you just adjust as best as you can. But I again I think all the pro reporters are going through that. And when fans want more, they're like, What are you what are you seeing? I saw some body language there. What are you seeing? What are you seeing? And sometimes you have to tell people, Hey, I'm not actually there. Um when you're in the press box, you have binoculars and you're checking for lineup changes in the offensive line and stuff like that. So that's how it works. Again, I don't know how it's going to work for basketball. I think at the, at the most, we might be able to have one person at the game because as Craig Angelos described to us, I think it's going to be 250 best case scenario, 250 people in the building period. That's including the players, staff, people cleaning the building after the game. Um, so it's going to be a real limited number because you're inside. And so how much access we're going to have for basketball, I don't know. All we can say is to someone like Larry Doherty, hey, can we do weekly media availability to stay stay connected? And then, you know, I, I wonder what that's going to be like if that's the case, if they're um, if they are paused again and Aaron just says, hey, you know, we, we had to quarantine for 14 days and 
couldn't really practice and it's not a whole lot to talk about. So it's just trying to fill the gaps of features and recruiting coverage and, and podcasts. Yes. Um, so this was, you said you didn't go to any football games this year, like, uh, not in person no. So that's, this was the first year, I think for me, since 2007, I did not attend a temple football game. So how many years was this for you that you hadn't, Oh boy. I'd have to go back to the first, the, in terms of the last time I didn't cover a temple football game in person. Yep. Probably. So I, I graduated from temple in 1998 and I covered the team for the temple news, which is ironic because now in my full-time job at temple, I'm the managing director of student media and I'm the advisor to the temple news. I'm the advisor to WHIP, the student radio station that didn't exist when uh, when, when I was there, people, I, you know, I went to school with Kevin Nagandi and people like Jeff Skaversky, John Clark, and talked to some of those people and they're thinking, well, you know, WRTI existed and you got some experience in radio there, but it was, you know, WRTI is like temples XPN and you didn't have that experience, but, you know, cover the team in the late nineties for college. And then from 1998 to 2001, I worked for a Gannett newspaper in South Jersey called the daily journal down in Vineland. If you ever take, you know, if you have South Jersey listeners, I think you, you, you drive by Vineland on your back way to the shore. If you wanted to scope out where Mike Trout lives in Millville, you know, that in Cumberland County in South Jersey, but, you know, covered high school sports, college sports, covered the Eagles for a few years for them. And so during those years from 98 to 2001, I was still freelancing for Al Scoop when somebody else owned it. And then eventually became the editor of it in 2006. But I'm sure there were probably a couple of years, maybe 99, 2000, where I maybe didn't get to a game because it, you know, my, I was working my full-time job and I wasn't doing as much for Al Scoop, but I would probably say, I don't know, probably the first year since maybe 2002, three, somewhere around that range where I haven't been to a game and, and you miss it because it is, it's fun, you know, and I think anybody who's, who has been around the program for a while, you know, it is, you know, Temple, again, they were one and six this year. It was a tough season, but it's really one of the more remarkable turnaround stories in um, in college football. Up there with Baylor, Kansas State, programs like that, like, you know, it's it's really been amazing. Again, by no, you, you've been down there. By no means are we trying to say it's like comparing apples to oranges. It's not like what you'd see at Penn State. It's not like what you'd see at Alabama or Texas or, you know, a, a program like that, but you do miss the, the, the lively atmosphere in lot K, you know, when, when the, the year in 2015, when they started off seven and oh, and they, you know, beat Penn state and they're, they have a legit chance to, to beat Notre Dame, you know, where there are about probably 20,000 Notre Dame fans there. You had the, the New York Yankees esque fans of, Oh, I didn't go to Notre Dame, but they're my team, that, that crowd. Um, yeah, but there were a ton of temple fans there and it was, that was an amazing thing to see. So you miss going down because it is a fun Saturday. And again, for us, Am I a temple? I'm a two-time temple graduate. I work there full time, but you still have to be removed and fair. You're not yeah. sitting in the press box rooting. You're you're there to do a job, but you miss you miss driving in a lot. K and we would try to bounce around before the games. I mean, we can't. You know, we will bounce around to a couple of tailgates to say hi to people. People offer you drinks, and you have to yeah. tell them no. We're working. You're but working. <laughs> I'll have some of your crab dip or your or your you know your chowder or whatever it is you're making or a hot dog. Sure, but. So you do, you, it does feel weird and it, cause it's a part of my life that I connect to and it's, it's a, it's still a creative outlet and it's still, you know, part of my, you know, it's, it's a job and you're providing a service to people and, and you can't be there in person. So it does, it does feel weird for again, 
the first time in again, what, maybe 15, 16 years to have not covered a game in person, but you know, just hope that we can do it next fall. Yes. Um, well, end, end on this. Give us one good John DiCarlo at Temple College story. Like, where, where did you live? Where, where you were oh, when I was when I was an undergrad at Temple. Yeah, undergrad. Um, I transferred to Temple when I was a sophomore. I'm from I'm from Downingtown and went to a, a big high, Downingtown is now split into two high schools and went to a large high school. Thought for whatever reason I would like a smaller school. Uh, went to Cabrini college as a freshman, liked it. And it's a good school, but I was like, I, I just, I, I want to be in a bigger school. And at the time, Sean, like the rub on temple was great school, great school, bad area. Don't go there. You know? And I looked and I was like, this is, I, I liked the campus then. And now there's so much more and the school yes, has grown yes. so much. So I transferred in as a sophomore. I lived it. I lived it. Uh, White Hall, when it was called New Residence Hall, James White, who actually just unfortunately recently passed away, they hadn't even named White Hall after him yet. I lived there as a sophomore, lived in Temple Towers as a junior and senior. Um, loved my experience there academically, personally. Um, worked at the Temple News. Again, it's 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 cool being their advisor now. The Temple News, I don't, I wouldn't have without that experience working at the Temple News, I wouldn't have been able to get into this industry and meet people, stay connected to people. Um, uh, I, I, at Temple, probably my favorite story, I guess, from like a media standpoint as a student. Either or, you know, I would have been out, maybe ran into somebody in Philly or, you know, after a game, did something fun. I don't know. Yeah, uh, something that Kyle Gauss will probably say didn't happen. <laughs> nah, I mean, I, I, it was my college life would sound boring. And it's maybe still like this, you know, when you, when, when I went to temple in the late nineties, it was, I mean, I was working on the weekends, a lot of times going home, you know, and then it was just like, okay, go, let's go down to the city and do something fun. I think most of my most memorable temple memories were connected to, you know, covering something for the temple news again, like, and it's a shame. And I know this is what Aaron wants to get things back to not every game at the, at the, at the end of the Apollo was not every game was sold out but there were games that were sold out. I mean, covering, it was such a big deal for them to get the Apollo built and being there the night that it opened up mm-hmm. against Fresno state. And, you know, Jerry Tarkanian, I mean, his, his best days and his most iconic days were when he was coaching UNLV, but to be in that building when it was packed and just packed to the gills and it was so loud, you know, covering, covering a game like that. Um, I got to see some really good players in the big East when temple wasn't good, but you, you know, you'd see, um, you know, I can't remember if he was in, uh, I'd have to go back and double check. I mean, seeing Michael Vick play at Virginia tech, seeing, you know, Frank Gore, those guys, uh, uh Gore was my time and comes to my fun times at temple. It sounded very, very boring to people. <laughs> now it was just, you know, getting to know people like getting to know someone like Kevin and, and Kevin Nagani and staying connected to him. But I think we have more fun stories now. Um, going on the road to cover games. And it's just like, you know, seeing Notre Dame, um, even if it's something like just covering a temple UMass game, but going up to Gillette stadium and seeing it and just, just fun conversations in the car and stuff like that. Or it's just talking to people pregame, you know, but it, during my time at temple, I think it was just more so 
the experience of just really being there and looking at the opportunities. Again, I wasn't, I mean, I had a lot of friends there. It was fun. I'm still in touch with a lot of my, my friends, but students who go there now, I think are having the more true traditional on-campus experience. I think there are probably about 5,000, and this is a rough estimate, probably four or 5,000 people on or around campus. And a lot of people were commuting. Now it's, it's, you know, much higher and I should know this number off the top of my head, but at least 10 to 12,000. Honestly, like I can remember one story that stands out when I was a senior at Temple. I, um, I was interning for Eagles Digest. What at the, what the time was the print publication that the Eagles would put out before the website really took off again, I'm old, I'm 44 years old. So, you know, <laughs> websites were a thing then, but the, you know, professional teams were not producing as much digital content. There was still a paper piece and then it was more ticket information, schedule, stuff like that. But I was interning for a, a lot of people probably know Dave Spadaro and, you know, I'm sure Dave gets teased when they have him on the morning show on WIP, they say, Oh, you're the house organ. You work for the team. But I think Dave tries to shoot it about as straight as he can for working for the team. But I interned for him and Dave's a temple guy. So I interned for Eagles Digest and for the Eagles my senior year, and I got to cover every single Eagles home game and a couple of preseason games and got to write a lot. And so I got to cover NFL football, and that helped me be more prepared to cover Eagles home games in my next few years in my early in my professional career. But there was one year where I was I was dating a girl at the time who lived in, in Tom's River, and I remember watching an Eagles Falcons game. I had made, I had made, I, I like to cook. I'd made like meatballs and stuffed shells. I don't know why I remember this. Cause this is a good 20 some years ago. Um, probably the fall of 97, December of 97. I had watched the Eagles lose. I'd eaten leftover pasta. And my girlfriend at the time was like, I, let's drive out to Tom's river. I want to surprise my mom and go visit her. We drove out there. And by the time we got out there, we, she was working at a restaurant. We surprised her mom. We ate there on the way back home. I was sick as a dog driving back on route 70 through like the pine barrens. And I was like, I, I got a speeding ticket. I don't know how I didn't throw up, but I got back, said goodnight to where we both lived in towers. I was like, I had a, you go to your place. I'm going to go to mine. I feel nauseous. Ended up getting super sick. And the next day, my, the one big piece of grunt work that I had to do as an intern for Spadero was at the time, this is going to sound completely silly to people in 1997 <laughs> photographers would take their pictures and scan them. And the Eagles, they used this publishing company called Curtis publishing down in Miami and any team photos or photos that were taken of the game would be sent down via airmail to be scanned. They would produce the publication and they had, a, they had several thousand subscribers. But part of the grunt work I had was on the Monday morning after a home game, I would have to wake up about four in the morning, be at the, this, one of the security gates or the security desks at Veterans Stadium at 4.30 in the morning, take an envelope full of pictures, take them there from, from the vet, get back on 95, drop them off at the airport so they could be airmailed down to Miami and then be back in the Eagles Digest print publication a couple of days later. I woke up, puked, was sweating. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I walked from Temple Towers to the parking lot where Morgan Hall is now. At the time, there was a, there was a, something there called the University Services Building, and there was a, a lot where you could park your car. I was delirious getting in the car. I was like, I should probably not be behind the wheel of a car right now because I was just so sick, 
but you're a college intern. You're like, oh, someday I'm going to learn to appreciate this. It was so sick. It was delirious driving down there. Almost hit another car when I got to the airport. Came back. And then on that Monday, you would go down to the vet where the Eagles offices were and you would stuff. Um, I think it was that next day. I was still sick. You would stuff envelopes to send out to subscribers. And that was the grunt work. The trade-off was you get to cover the NFL. And I got to interview Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor, um, you know, players like that, like the late nineties, but you also did some grunt work, which I was fine with doing. And the Eagles team party, the, the Eagles holiday party was, was at Stripe Bass, one of the best restaurants in the city at the time. And Spadero was like, you got to go, you got to go. It's like, I am literally puking every hour on the hour I, I pulled over on broad street and threw up on the way down here and he's like why are you here i was like it's my internship and i missed out on the team party and i was it was like i was so miserable during that stretch and i was like i wish i could have gone to this team party i wish i could have done this wish i could have done that but um that stands out again a, a college student now would be like that is an extremely boring story <laughs> and it's not how come you weren't you know, telling me a story about being at a party. It was, it was just a different time. You'd hang out, go to, you know, go to parties with your friends. But when you're in the, you're trying to get a job in the media industry, you're working a lot on weekends, you're hustling, you're covering games. And if you have a chance to intern somewhere or freelance somewhere, uh, if it's a Friday night, I mean, I got my start. One of the ways I got my starts was like freelancing from the Norris time towns, Norris town times Herald out sort of by your area. And, you know, if, your friends are like, uh, yeah, we're going to go out. We're going to go out. We're going to go down and check out a party at Penn, or we're going to go to the city, go down to Fairmount and do this. But then some, like a sports editor from the times Herald calls and says, Hey, can you cover Norristown high school, North Penn? You say, yes, you need clips, you need experience. And so, but again, it, it was a great, it was a great experience, but I think it was more just like the experiences there connecting with people that you're still connected with. And, um, but now, I mean, like the campus is really, really vibrant. There are more people sticking around on the weekends and yeah, yeah, I feel like it's seemingly like twice as many residence halls. Um, the campus had not expanded westward like it has now, or even eastward, like down to the train station. So it's a completely different, completely different scene in that sense. But, but some of the memories I have are just like, honestly, just working some of the professional opportunities I had, the internship opportunities I had and staying connected to those people. And now some of the more temple experiences I have when it comes to covering Al scoop stuff is just, you know, I don't know, getting to cover road games, NCAA tournament games, seeing, you know, James Harden and people like that play in the tournament. So no, no super grandiose stories. I'll probably think of something funny later and, and text it to you that nobody will really care about, but I know that was a super long winded answer, but no, I, I, any... I liked it. It's, I mean, like you said, it's something that was memorable and I appreciate, um, you know, you, you telling it. Uh, so I, I tell people all the time I graduated 13 and, you know, to add on to what you said, there's, there's probably five new buildings since I graduated. I mean, oh yeah. The and, campus yeah. is just, I mean, it's, it's incredible. We just need a, a football stadium, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, we'll see. That's a that's a hot button issue. <laughs> yeah, I, we'll we'll see, and you know, or maybe you know, I don't know if there will be a stadium at some point, or if the if the if they don't get a stadium, if the if they move the practice facility to a more centralized location, we'll see. But I mean, even with basketball, they've improved the you know the basketball facility at Pearson McGonagall Halls. Is not, I mean, they just got a an upgrade with a lounge, a new weight room, and that stuff you'd think eventually will matter with recruiting. Uh, but 
I mean, that's the common story that everybody tells with Temple. They come back and you can almost set your watch to it. Like, oh my God, I haven't been here in five or 10 years. This is amazing. There's more green space than I remember. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's, I think that's the common thread is that it feels like more of a campus. Now there's always been a sense of, of community, but when I went there, it was still very much in that line of like, there were people living on campus, but you were going to school there and it was more like, you got to get in and get out. This, this, you're, you're very much engrossed in the real world. You have tremendous opportunities to work and intern. Now students are getting, I think more of the traditional college experience, but it's still some of the great stuff, the diversity, the people you meet, you know, you don't get that experience at other, uh, at other places. And so that I think is the most rewarding piece to it, but yeah, no, no jump, no, like John Belushi esque, uh, <laughs> animal house stories. I mean, we, you know, again, even temple towers is nicer than what it was when we lived there. And my roommates were, you know, ironically enough, one of my very best friends in the world is one of my roommates was, is the, the, the high school principal at Montour high school. And a couple of his players have, have now come to temple ones on the roster. Now, Ronnie Stevenson, it's just funny to hear him say, Hey, yeah, one of the temple coaches was at our school today. And it's just a wild, you know, full circle, uh, type of thing. So, but I got to cover some fun college football then. And it was just, honestly, back then it was just more like after a game, you weren't rushing back to campus to so much to hang out with your friends. You were actually looking to network with people in the press box and they'd be like somebody from the inquiry, the daily news. And would be like, Hey, we're going to grab beers after the game. You want to come with us? Yeah. Yeah. And you'd sit around and just soak up the stories. Or if I was covering a game for the temple news and someone like John Cheney, like if I'd say to, you know, whoever the SID was at the time, Hey, can I talk to coach Cheney? I'm doing this story for the temple news. John was great. He didn't discriminate in terms of saying like, Oh, that's just a kid from the temple news, but get back here. We'll talk, you know? And, <laughs> and if you sit and John Cheney wants to chew your ear off for an hour and you're like, just tell me more. Uh, that's the fun, you know, to, again, to someone else who's not into journalism, like, that might sound completely lame, but that was, you know, that was what was fun for us. No, that's awesome. I mean, who who wouldn't want to talk to John Cheney at any any chance possible? I know, maybe now you'll see him at Walnut Lane. <laughs> but I played. Yeah, we just we just played recently. While uh, Sam Cohen and Sam Newman, and uh, one of the other students I work with, Ray Dunn, who, who's one of our really gifted students who works at the student radio station at WHIP. I told I was telling them that that's where 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 John plays. I don't know how much he's playing anymore, but we were able to at least do something safely outside and, and golf with masks on and. Um, yeah, I did. You know what? That's a, another funny memory I have from Temple. I took golf my senior year. I don't know if they still offer it. Um, when you, when you, when we took golf, it was most of the year you would go to McGonagall Hall for class, and then you would hit wiffle balls in McGonagall Hall. And at the end of the year, Kyle would laugh if he's listening to this because he teases me for retelling stories. But um, <laughs> at the end of the semester, we all went to Walnut Lane. Pepe Sanchez was in that class with me, and he's still he's still one of the best players in temple history. I mean, I only, I only only got to play a couple years in the NBA, but he was such an extremely gifted player in the way he played the game. Pepe went to that class more than I did. And he was like, I was like, you don't, I was like, I know I'm playing into a stereotype here, but I was like, you're here. You're not the athlete that's cutting class. He's a coach would kick my ass. If he told me, if he found out I wasn't in class and like he would study. And I was like, wow, he's like putting me to shame, but I was a terrible golfer. I'm still not a great golfer. And we all went to Walnut lane at the, at the end of the semester. And I think on the eighth hole, I teed off and literally sliced the ball so badly that I hit a trash can and I 
asked if I could forego the, the ninth hole. My teacher was like, no, we're, we're not here to be pros. I was like, I almost killed somebody. So that was my first taste of playing at Walnut Lane. But I told those guys, I was like, hey, if you're looking to golf, it's one of the closest. If you're looking for those courses that are on the fringe of the city, it's Walnut Lane, Cobbs Creek, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so I took a golf I uh, took a golf class with Pepe Sanchez and it was fun just when I wasn't talking to him in the capacity of um, covering him, just talking to him like, you know, how, you know, do you ever think you'd be going to school in Philly and North Philadelphia in America and what's life like for you now? And, um, you know, those, again, just, those are just fun experiences because the basketball program back then, again, I know they didn't win a national championship. That was John never got to a final four, but they were, they had a presence. They were larger than life. They were still playing at McGonagall before the Apollo and the Leah Corps Center was built, like when they would play UMass, that was the big deal. The lines were wrapped around McGonagall Hall, and that was that was fun. Uh, but yeah, that was my first uh, introduction to Walnut Lane. That's a fun story. But again, I'm sure that your younger listeners would be like, "The Carlos telling lame stories right now. This is nothing <laughs> incredibly." We, we, so a, we kept ourselves kept ourselves occupied. We had fun. We stayed out of trouble. A, a good amount of our listeners, they'll appreciate the Walnut Lane story. I've, I've played there a couple of times. And I have a couple of buddies that are pretty big into golf. So they'll, they'll appreciate a good Walnut Lane story. Yeah. <laughs> so, John, thank yeah, you so much for doing this. That's this awesome. probably about my speed for golf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you, Sean. So it's always good, yeah. to, good to catch up with you. Yes. Um, I didn't mention even at the beginning. I met John, what was it, two summers ago, I guess, up at Brittingham's, right? Yes. Yeah. I was just telling, so I was talking to my wife about that. I was like, I'm recording a, a podcast. I was like, you've actually, you've met Sean. We were there for my brother's 40th birthday because he doesn't live too far from you. They were living in Roxborough at the time. And now they're, now they're real close between, oh uh, God, where do they live? Edmonds between, between, uh, between Henry Avenue or between Ridge and uh, Germantown Pike. So yeah, we were up there and you know, my wife remembers that because you came up and introduced yourself like, yeah, John, yeah. Sean, I was like, you read Al Scoop. This is great. And it's <laughs> yeah. not like I'm it's not like I'm working for the New York Times or like on TV <laughs> all the time. I've been on the radio, but not on like TV. And my wife was cracking up that somebody came up and was like, I read Al Scoop. And I was like, I was flattered by that. That was great. So it's it's good to obviously stay in touch with you. And this is the last time I've actually we're not talking in person, but it's just good to see you again. So this is this was fun. It was my pleasure. I can gladly do it again. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe maybe we'll have like a midseason uh, catch up. Maybe hopefully by then the basketball team's up and running, and we can we can discuss how they're doing. And hopefully by then the the football team will have all their transfers in and out kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll plug uh, when we record on Wednesday. We'll plug the we'll plug the podcast on Wednesday. We'll get oh, get some people. You. Hopefully, kick some people over <laughs> to you too to, to get you get them to listen. I really would appreciate that, John. Thank you so much, everybody else. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Still no sports to talk about, but thanks, John, for coming on and uh, giving us a lot to talk about. So thanks, uh, Sean. Everything else, guys. Uh, and as always, I will be back. <laughs>